All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to also thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors for the second hour are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp, Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again Peter Granich. Peter is no stranger to listeners to this show. He's uh, been in this business, in the business of uh, helping people make money, uh, primarily in the resource sector, uh, but Peter has uh, changed directions a little bit in recent, uh, just recently, and we'll ask him about that. Um, uh, but he has been a person that I've looked up to for many, many years, a, a personal friend of mine over the years. Uh, we've uh, Both of us have had, um, going being involved in the resource sector, both of us have had uh, had good times and had have had some very difficult times. Uh, and so I think, uh, to say the least, that builds character, and, and Peter definitely has character, and he definitely, uh, I think, has gained a great deal of, of strength uh, spiritually, uh, and in many other ways, uh, having gone through that. So, really good to have you again, Peter. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's always a, indeed a pleasure with you, Jay. I've known you for almost 30 years, and you're one of the few bright spots through that time in darkness and, as, and in light, so I'm always happy to be with you. Well, thank you, Peter, and, and the same goes with me. Um, you know, I've known you, probably you've been in this business for 30 years or so. I, I think I've known you almost that length of time. You've recently uh, taken a little direction, a little change in, in direction of your in your professional career here. You've uh, become involved in financial planning. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing in that area. Yeah, I've uh, always, uh, well, obviously the first uh, ha- almost half of my career, I was an active financial advisor on Wall Street, and then in, in the late '90s, switched to being more of a consultant to publicly held companies in the junior resource market. But I never really left uh, the association of, of a, an alternative to traditional financial planning uh, with an association I've had here in the States. And then uh, uh, within the last year, after almost three years of an exhaustive search, I found someone in Canada who does basically the same we do down here. So I was able to refer Canadians who always ask, could I help them in that end, but couldn't. Uh, I prefer them into this gentleman. So I uh, have always kept my foot in the financial planning. However, it wasn't the lead uh, thing that I was doing. However, 
Uh, I've made the switch, part of it because I had to, because of what's happened in the junior resource market. Secondly, because, quite frankly, I enjoy it much more because I don't get death threats and nasty emails and phone calls in the middle of the night. And uh, so it's it's been uh, it's been a change, and uh, you know I've, for lack of a better description, have uh, wound down the work I do in the junior resource market. Have uh, got more into this, and also uh, writing for another uh, company in Canada still, but with general market ideas, not just limited to gold and junior resource stocks. Yeah, so I guess what you're doing uh, is what a lot of people have been suggesting we should do for many years, Peter, and that is diversify and not just put all your eggs in one basket. I know that when I look at my own portfolio now, uh, I'm overweighted in gold shares, and I, I kind of wished I had a little more dry powder, and I wish that I had a little more diversification as the equity market has been going up and up, and gold shares and gold and silver in the last year and a half, two years or so, have been heading in, uh, in, the, uh, in the other direction. So uh, I guess what you're talking about is a more diverse portfolio? Yeah, and, and you're not alone. I've made the same mistake, and I think one of the reasons the junior market is so bad this time and hasn't been able to rebound is that many of us who had not done that before did it this time mm-hmm. and found themselves way overloaded uh, on that end and you know and kept adding because it didn't make sense to what was happening in the gold market to see these things for lack of a better word many of them just fade away uh, and so I think you and I are, are not alone. We may be one of the few that will talk about it openly uh, in, in the junior resource sector, but I don't think we're alone, and I think that's contributed to the severe. I've seen a 70% decline in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, that isn't the reason, or the only driving reason to make my change, but between that personal suffering and then having to heal, handle from the small minority of people who, who have grown extremely nasty, quite frankly, mm-hmm. in, their, in their commentaries uh, about it, as if somehow I put a gun to the head and made him do all this. Uh, that and the fact that we're not getting any younger, Hugh and I are in the same age range, and I don't know if I'm prepared to go through another cycle and you know live with the inevitable rebound that will come but I think it's going to come later than most people expect, and it won't be uh, as fast as many have been used to in the past. Well, I want to ask you, Peter, why you think the you know everything is going up except gold and silver. I want to I want you to hold that thought, but before we get to that, um, I want to ask you about another. You sort of uh, talked about it or, or, or hit on it briefly. Uh, you're also involved with uh, something in Canada, money talks, money the money talks show. Uh, with Michael Campbell. Talk to us a little bit about that. What's your involvement uh, with uh, Michael Campbell's show? Michael is one of two uh, or three Canadian journalists that I have really respected throughout my uh, relationships in Canada, which goes back to the mid-'80s. Of course, uh, the other gentleman had passed away a few years ago on on report on business, but uh, I've been a big fan of Michael. I always felt he's been one of the more objective uh, speak from the heart journalist and he's hosted uh, a radio show in Canada that goes into several cities uh, some conferences that take place uh, in Canada Western Canada mainly and also uh, a website and earlier in this year 
while talking with Michael and his associates, I noted that I what my plan was to do, and they said, you know, Pete, we would really, if you find a way, we'd enjoy you writing for us. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, that's what I began in November. My market commentaries, general economic views and all are, are now uh, at their websites, moneytalks.net, and uh, the Greenwich publication has been limited to the junior resource, and, and that eventually will wind down to not even being a commentary probably in the next six months or so. I, I want to honor my obligations to the relations that I still have, and I want to make sure that, you know, things that I've been involved with, people have an idea what I'm thinking about them, and we left that to go. But my main focus on market commentary now will be heard uh, not only through the website, but on uh, Michael's uh, weekend show on Saturdays, which is heard throughout Canada. And uh, can people get that on the web? Can people listen to it? Yeah. Is it a, a podcast, or can they listen yeah. to it live yes. on the web, Peter? Yes, they can. Uh, moneytalks.net. Uh, one word, money talks, and then dot net, uh, all those things, listening to the radio show, uh, reading mine. Michael puts out several publication, uh, writings during the week, and then also the radio show could be heard through there. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, I've known them, I've spoken at their conferences, but like I said, the real main reason was, uh, I've been a big fan of Mike, and for whatever reason, he was a big fan of mine, and, uh, we finally come together. Okay, so people can go to moneytalks.net to catch up with with your thoughts on the market and uh, on the markets, I should say, and the economy, etc. And uh, I'm sure other things too, Peter, because you're certainly not a one-dimensional person, and you've become uh, more diversified now, <clears throat> certainly in uh, in your uh, financial planning endeavors. So I, I would just suggest to my listeners that they, um, you know, bookmark moneytalks.net and, and follow up on. Uh, on what Peter is uh, is writing and saying these days. Well, Peter, I just, you know, why is it, uh, getting to the markets and the economy, why is it, why do you think, with all this quantitative easing, the only thing that's not going up is gold and silver? I mean, the equity markets are going up. The, we Some argue, and perhaps i get your thoughts on this a little bit later, the bond markets are in a bubble. The equity markets, some people think, are getting looking awfully frothy again with Height with uh, some some of the tech stocks selling at multiples that don't seem to make any kind of economic sense. How do you account for the fact that gold and silver have been uh, going down while everything else, almost everything else, has been going up? Well, I guess some commodities haven't really shared in the froth or the upside. But but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think I would be down seventy percent if I was uh, viewing it correctly the last couple of years. So I've been on the wrong side, mm-hmm. uh, and that's been extremely frustrating because. Uh, People call this, or let's just say the vast majority who hate gold. And that, I want to take a step back to you. I think it's very, very important for people to grasp this. And that is 99% of what makes the financial world go around is financial assets and things related to its stocks and bonds and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the journalists who make a living uh, following that market uh, are on that side. Mm-hmm. So it's in their best interest for all those people to have a good market. Well, the one thing that flies in the face directly in that is is gold. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't own gold because you think the Dow is going to 40,000. Right. If the Dow is going to 40,000, that usually means that the economies are doing well, employment's good, and all the things around the world is hunky-dory, and that's why stocks go up, because 
Remember, stocks are part ownerships in businesses, and businesses do well in good economies. So gold would naturally be uh, not something you would want to own. However, if gold is rising a lot, it could call into question the validity of any strength in the economy. Mm -hmm. So we've used the word barometer uh, to describe gold as as such. And the reason I believe, and, it, and it's kind of like, if I, if I stood before my maker and they said, well, how do you plead through your, your last few years of advice in the gold and junior market? <laughs> like the old license, uh, when you got a ticket in New York, they used to have three options, guilty, not guilty, and guilty with an explanation. And in this case, I would choose guilty with an explanation. And my explanation would be is that there has been a very strange and constant trading of gold in a way that strongly suggests uh, uh, a, a manipulation or people using uh, to profit to the downside movement in the gold. Mm -hmm. and, and why I say that is this, and this is not sour grapes, and this is not someone willing to fess up that they've been wrong for two years. I, I clearly admit that. But it is highly illogical, and you and I probably combined have you know, 60, 70 years of experience to see the way the selling takes place in the gold market. No one, remember, when you're selling, unless it's for absolute total liquidation, you, you have to take any price and it's a fire sale, you try to sell for the best price, just like you try to buy at the best price. Sure. Well, the selling, the bulk of the selling uh, that continues, and, and again, mainly in the paper market, is at the worst possible times, lots and large size orders are mm -hmm. sold indiscriminately. And remember, anybody that's selling $100 million, $50 million, $500 million worth of gold is supposed to have a little bit of a brain. It's not just somebody indiscriminately doesn't know anything, just they right, sell. Right. And yet, their sales uh, come self-serving uh, mechanisms and they cause even larger declines, which would mean that they get less and less of a better price for something they're trying to get out of. So, my guilty with an explanation is, uh, and I, I think it's become more and more evident to even uh, regular people because they be have begun to comment on it so frequently mm -hmm. now, and that is that there has been uh, people, groups, whatever, organized or not organized, uh, selling almost indiscriminately in gold as if their goal is not just to liquidate their position but a cause and effect, and that cause and effect is to drive the price lower. And my personal opinion is that underpins supporting the financial market where 99.9% .9 of everybody needs a better market, not a worse market, in order to maintain their, their living. Yeah, I think you've explained very well uh, sort of the motives for it, Peter, and it makes perfect sense uh, to me. And I must uh, remind our listeners that just last week, and people can go back and listen to, to prior uh, podcasts, but uh, we uh, James Turk did an interview on our show last week with uh, with Chris Powell. I think Chris Powell laid out not uh, that this is a conspiracy theory, but in fact uh, there is direct evidence uh, all over the place 
for the uh, kind of thing Peter was just talking about, massive selling in a very short period of time that can only come from a handful of very, very rich, powerful institutions. So, uh, And then the fact that people are selling, and, you know, Peter, we saw this when the British government was unloading its gold a few years, uh, quite a few years back now, in which they would announce ahead of time that they were going to sell a certain amount of gold into the markets. And, of course, that meant they got a lower price than they would have if they left it out slowly over time without announcing it. So it's, it's definitely something going on there. And I would also uh, ask you, Peter, if, uh, you know, what, what markets other than gold wouldn't be manipulated these days? Because well, we've you, seen you make them. a very good point, Jay. We, 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 all you have to do is a Google search, and you'll see every conceivable market now has had accusations or actual cases and pleads by guilty parties of manipulating the market. It does, whether it's oil, soybeans, the LIBOR rate and all, and somehow people would want you to believe that when they get to the walls of the COMEX, it stops. Yeah. That, that doesn't occur there, and that's foolish thinking. It doesn't change our situation. We're still in the, the sinking boat at the moment, but it, it helps explain it. And then the question that always that begs is, if they are doing that, and there is reasons for them to do it, then what they're trying to protect from happening uh, is probably very dire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and that's why they've done that, because uh, they don't want to, the unraveling to take place. And so even, you know, most recently now with the, the London PM fix being investigated overseas, I don't expect much from that because I really think that the recent ruling by the CFTC here and then the resignation of the one commissioner who at least was somewhat vocal about the manipulation many of us felt took place has basically, in my opinion, given an all-clear signal to the manipulators in the paper market in the U.S. that you don't have to worry about regulators and all, and, you know, you can continue doing your thing. Yeah, well, speaking of dire, Peter, we had, um, you know, last week we had Black Friday. Uh, and you had a very, you, you forwarded an email uh, to your to your list, and I res- I'm on your list, and uh, Received this, and I thought it was very interesting. The explanation of why we call the Friday following Thanksgiving Black Friday. Tell our listeners about that. Well, yeah, I spoke about it, but I, I noted that it's it's kind of ironic that the day before on Thanksgiving we thank uh, our Maker or our fellow human beings and families for the all the things we have, and then the next day a large part of Americans go out and basically kill themselves to buy things that they don't have or they think they need or other people need. Uh, it's kind of ironic that within 24 hours, we're so content and thankful for what we have, and then the next day we're waking up. If not now, we don't even wake up because they're opening actually on Thanksgiving Day and go buy all sorts of stuff that in reality most of us don't really need. We may want it, but we don't need it. And so it, it, I think it's a sign of what has also helped lead America to where it's at, and you and I have had this discussion, and my favorite is, is for, for the poster boy of what's wrong uh, with America is public storage. Yes, exactly. That, that uh, generations before our families and our parents and their parents never needed public storage. It didn't exist in America, but you can't drive two or three miles on any main road in any part of America uh, outside the deserts and the mountains and not find a public storage facility. And ironically, a good part of what's stored there is by people who don't store that stuff at homes and place, places they dwell and have too much stuff. And that's 
really historically is what has got us here is not only a horrific government waste of financial uh, assets, but Americans in general having too much stuff. Yeah, well, for sure, it seems like sheer insanity to me, Peter. Uh, people have to rent storage space, and they put stuff in there, and they don't even remember they have it. Uh, people, you know, we, we've just lived beyond our means for so long. Uh, America as a whole has. Do you think, um, you know, we're hearing, of course, I guess this is probably the, uh, you coined the phrase, don't worry, be happy crowd. We're hearing all the time. Uh, people saying, well, don't worry, you know, things, uh, the consumer will come back. He's, he's coming back. All right. Do you think he is? Do you think the consumer is coming back or is he still largely tapped out on his credit cards? Well, here's, here's the bottom line. And I'm not an economist, but I know there are economists that could actually graph this and all, but I've seen it statistically. So I, I know it to be fact in my mind. And that is that not only now has the debt level gotten to a point we're servicing it based on cash flow. And, and if we, before we run out of time, I'll tell you that's the key in financial planning is cash flow. That's why most financial plans don't work. But we're getting to the point now in the United States that even with the low record interest rates, because of how much debt we're piling up, the ability for Americans to produce enough excess cash flows, in other words, after we pay for our, our mortgages and our cars and our food and our home and all, we are not going to produce enough cash flow that the government can tax us and then service the interest on the debt. Forget about the principal debt. I stand here today and tell you, and you and I are still probably going to be around when that day comes, so I, I believe it's going to happen in a matter of a few years, not decades from now. Mm -hmm. the, the debt will either have to be renegotiated, reneged on, and or monetized, which I think is all the three things that are already starting in process now. But we're getting so indebted, not only on the federal level, state levels, but on the consumer levels, that servicing our debt just from what we could possibly make, income has been so stagnated, people don't understand this, that the vast majority of people have not really seen any meaningful increase in their income for over a decade. Yes, that 1% up there is making a killing stocks and all these other things, but the vast, vast majority aren't. But cost of living continues to rise. So our cash flow is being squeezed even more, and eventually we just won't have enough to even pay the interest on the debt we have, let alone the principal. Yeah, it's, it, it looks very dire. Uh, it cer certainly does. And I have to ask you, you mentioned interest rates, Peter. Interest rates have been kept. Speaking of manipulation, interest rates have been the most obviously manipulated a market, um, and we saw just the the markets freaking out on the mere mention or possibility of of uh, taking some of that money printing away that eighty five billion dollars a month of government and uh, agency debt being purchased by the Fed. Uh, how do you think that's going to play out? Is to, are we going to see something really big happen in two thousand fourteen? There have been people for quite a while that have suggested a lot of our friends and years truly included, that have believed that the bond market, the long bull market in U.S. long-dated treasuries, was over, but only to find out that it's continuing. And if I look at a long-term chart, uh, it's still in an uptrend, Peter, you know? Uh, do you think, what, what are your thoughts on the bond market, the long-dated U.S. treasuries? Well, first market? of all, the absolute low has been made. We're, we're not going to see a 1.7 yield on, on uh, the 10-year. Ever again, huh? 
I, I, I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. I be- you know, we need to take a step back and understand that let's remember what quantitative easing won when it all started, what we were sold on the reason for it and what it was supposed to obtain. The reasoning back then was that if 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 the Fed eased, it would rise financial assets, which it has. The stock market has done real well and bonds have. Americans would feel more wealthy and they would go out and spend that money and buy the refrigerators and the cars and everything and kick the economy into high gear. The problem has been is that much of that funding that the Fed had the creation of money, however anybody wants to describe it, has stayed within the walls of Wall Street. It has not made it out into Main Street into the little person because they lowered interest rates, but consumers are just so highly leveraged already, getting a 1% or a 5% lower interest rate really didn't matter to them because they couldn't just incur that much more debt. They're heavily indebted already. They're mm-hmm. already leveraged. Mm-hmm. Second, as I pointed out before, which is always lost in the discussion, and I don't know why it is, and that is a key point is income has not risen in America for the vast amount of Americans for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, no matter how much the Fed buys and creates money and does, it has less and less of an effect, and that's what we're seeing right now. If you think about the enormity of the total amount of money that was created, if someone would have said to us, even you and I, 10 years ago, that X amount of trillions of dollars would be created, one of the first things we would have said was, man, the economy probably grew at 6 or 7% with all that money flashing around. Yeah, right. But it didn't. And so, and it didn't because it's been narrowed and kept. And, and, and the irony of this and what aggravates me, quite frankly, Jay, and this is that just five years ago, these very same bankers and all that make up the Wall Street were so badly in shape that we were told that unless we bail them out, the whole thing could fall apart. Right. So we did. And guess why five years later? They're paying them record uh, incomes, record salaries, record bonuses. And the vast amount of Americans really can't point to any better situation than five years ago. Other than there's been a recovery in stocks to the levels that they were back then. And that's good. But if you think about for five years, we didn't go anywhere, yet there still were higher costs for things. The net effect is Americans on general, in my opinion, are worse off now than they were in 2008. So even though your question was, and it was correctly answered by yourself that this may continue for somewhat longer, the low interest rates, the results that we had hoped for not only didn't happen but can't happen now, and eventually, and people seem to forgot this too, this is what happened in third world countries in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They created all sorts of money. They kept trying to stimulate and move their economies. Paper became so cheap that eventually inflation took over, and then we all know what happened to those countries. And in a sense, and I know there's still a debate on the deflation inflation, and mm-hmm. I'm not an expert, so I'm not a good person to debate that. But eventually, you're going to create to the point where it has little or no effect, and that's what I believe we're seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, this this employment now, of course, there's stories out about the employment numbers been shaped and, you know, to help with uh, Obama's reelection and all stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important thing that comes out of those employment numbers is, is the labor force race, that that keeps going down. Yeah. Who cares if everybody gets excited there was 160,000 increase instead of 90? The bottom line is less and less Americans are working. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that should be the concern. The labor participation. Americans are working. Yeah, the labor participation rate is, is falling very dramatically, Peter. You make a very good point. Well, we've had, you mentioned that we've had this quantitative easing has boosted the stock market. And yet, uh, you're talking, I saw in a recent article you wrote about the, uh, it's called the Megaphone Top, uh, which is, uh, we've also had Robert McHugh on this show talking about that. Explain to our listeners what the Megaphone Top is and why that's important in the equity yes, markets. and it is, and uh, it's important. I don't believe that one should just use technical analysis. I believe fundamental analysis is as important as technical analysis. And I try to com- combine them both when I try to form my opinions. And I have talked for some time now and pointed out over a year ago uh, and, and put up charts through my uh, grants publications and now have put it up on Money Talks of a, of a megaphone formation in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And if you can remember what a megaphone looks like, mm-hmm. it kind of gets wider as it goes further out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, looked at a top somewhere around... 16,150 to 16,200, and sometimes they go over the line, but that was a target for me on the Dow from several thousand points lower. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into that range. And ironically, it's at the same time where I talked earlier in November, again, on Money Talks about, you know, the inevitable Santa Claus rally and how this seasonally period of time is when uh, it's hard for the market to go down. So my personal view is, and again, it's just for my sake, and people have to seek out their own counselor and, and how it may or may not impact their own situation. But my personal opinion is that we can have the major top in this end of the year, early 2014 period, that that would, that would be a, a technical fulfillment of something that we've been looking with for a long time. And so while the enthusiasm is quite high and, and spirits get artificially lift during this holiday period, uh, I would keep, tell people that are still actively invested in the U.S. stock market that this megaphone chart pattern, which goes back, uh, you know, many, many years, not, it's not a very short-term mm-hmm. factor, uh, is, is signaling, uh, the real possibility of an enormous, uh, major top being made in the very near future, you know, in a matter of a few weeks to no more than a few months. Well, Peter, do you think if that were to happen, uh, you know, certainly after the Lehman Brothers decline, we saw gold went down initially, but then the real price of gold, the gold relative to a basket of commodities, went up dramatically, and the mining companies started earning money, and we saw a big increase in the gold mining shares after 2008 up until about 2011 or so. Uh, do you think uh, might we be looking at the mirror image for the uh, for the gold charts then, if that were to happen to the equity markets? My best guess at this point is, and, and the target, by the way, there are calculations that are done to where the, that Dow could then decline to over the several years, and the target that we have is 6,700 to 7,000 on the Dow. And my best guess would be it'd be over a, a, quite a long period of time. It's not going to be something that's going to crash 50% mm-hmm. in a day or a week or so mm-hmm. forth. And if you're a gold player, even a shares, you don't want that to happen because I've always said this, and I've always questioned a particular party in Canada that would talk about a very 
severe or like atmosphere coming. And I never imagined that if that was to occur, that people would be calling up their financial advisors, telling them, sell my ABM stock, sell my treasury bonds, but buy me a junior resource stock. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. So we don't want, even if we are long on those things, to see a crash in the stock market. Mm-hmm. But I do think, I do think that what has uh, siphoned some of these trends, besides what I believe has been people selling for a variety of reasons we earlier discussed, I do think the strength in the stock market has been a net negative to the gold and mining shares. Mm-hmm. And so if we are approaching uh, a significant top and that strength uh, no longer exists a few months from now, I think it could help propel those shares. And by the way, those shares now, and particularly the further you go down to the food chain in the junior sector, are beyond anything that I ever imagined that they could sell for. So, A, I was wrong because I would have never told you they could be selling for what they're selling here, but they're literally being priced now as if everything was going out of business. It, 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 I mean, I could probably speak and spend four hours on an interview and go through companies and discuss why that's the case when you look at their valuations compared to what they have and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. So it either is going out of business, and we both will be completely out of business in the junior resource market, or it's at such an extreme now that we're just a couple of degrees from either side of 180 from where we were a few years ago, mm-hmm. and there will be a turn sometime in 2014 because of how extreme we've gotten. Mm-hmm. You believe that to be the case? Is that, is that what I you... believe it's the case, but you know what, Jay? I can't afford mentally and financially to go through another. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> You know, I, I, it, that, and, and that might take us, I know we may near an end, but I want to tell you something that I learned after 30 years and, and what I do implement, and it's probably the most important single thing I implement in our alternative to financial planning down here, and that is not only is general financial planning a flawed process and can't work over time, but one of the key things it doesn't measure, and I think all financial advisors have to have some way of measuring this when they sit with their clients, and that is not only the financial risk that someone can take, but what degree of mental anguish are they yeah. in a position to take. Yeah. Sure. And what bothers me the most now, after the last two years, is not the actual physical loss of the dollars, but that I, the so-called whiz kid and all the other names that have given to me over 30 years, found himself in this position and now has that horrible mental anguish from being in that position. All right. Right, And so I think one of the first golden rules of an advisor, and I know I can tell you and stand before my maker that, that we always implement that in our planning thing, is to understand the mental tolerance, not only the financial tolerance of a client, but you have to understand because we always like to take the best case scenario. I, I, can't, I know for a fact because I've done it myself. I've gone into a conference. I heard one of the speakers talk about a company, and I already imagined how many shares I was going to buy and how much money I was going to make. And I didn't think about, well, what if this goes wrong? What will happen, and how will that impact my daily life? And I right. think that's one of the missing ingredients, no matter how or what style people have when it comes to financial planning, that they need to implement but isn't implemented in our business. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that, Peter. It's and everybody is different too, which makes it very difficult. You can't put, you can't plug people into a formula. Each right. person they can't is do cookie cutter. They have no. cookie cutter analysis where somehow my analysis is going to fit the most of your listeners. That's never going to be the case. No, it's not, uh, Peter. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always some great insights. Uh, I, I think you know you're not one of these guys that has a PhD behind your name, but you have a PhD in street smarts. 
and you have a PhD in life because you've lived it, uh, you've lived the ups and the downs as well as uh, to the extremes as, as much as anybody I've met, I believe, and uh, I know that uh, that you're richer for having survived some very difficult times, uh, and uh, I'm richer for having you as a friend and having you on this show. I want to thank you very much for joining me once again, Peter, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you, and God bless to all your listeners. And, and likewise to you, Peter. Well, thanks. Uh, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with Gene Epstein of Barron's. Gene just sent me an email uh, with a quote that says, The greatest beneficiaries of capitalism are those at the bottom of the income ladder. That's why I favor capitalism. Were that not the case, I would not be in favor of capitalism. We'll ask Gene about that quote when he comes back, and uh, he'll have some more things to say as well. So uh, don't go away. I'll be right back with Gene Epstein. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, uh, as is a monthly occurrence, Gene Epstein. He's with me uh, always on the first Tuesday of each month because he's here to tell us about the upcoming Junto, New York City Junto meetings that occur uh, at the uh, uh, General Society Library at 20 West 44th Street in New York City. It's free. It's a wonderful uh, event, and since Gene Epstein has taken charge of it, it's become much better. Uh, it always was good, but it's much better now, and he's always got a great guest. So we have Gene coming on every Tuesday to talk about uh, the first Thursday. Uh, we have Gene coming on every the first Tuesday of every month to talk about the first Thursday's Junto meeting. So welcome, Gene. Good to have you again. Good to be back. And uh, tell us about Gary Hoover, I believe, is yeah. the main uh, speaker. T- tell us a little bit about Ga- Gary and uh, his well, eight Gary principles of successful Gary has had a long history as an entrepreneur, and um, he's uh, returning uh, to talk about um, entrepreneurship and talk about various ideas to sort of get everybody discussing uh, 
business ideas and uh, the creativity that's involved in entrepreneurship. We're also going to have a couple of special events. Uh, I'm bringing on a, uh, a libertarian comedian for about 15 minutes uh, toward the beginning of the show. I caught Andrew Heaton at Students for Liberty, and actually he's a friend of mine. He works the mic, and he's going to entertain us with libertarian humor for 15 minutes. I'm going to do a short presentation about the stock market. So it's going to be a packed evening, and I hope uh, everyone can come. Well, speaking of the stock market, Gene, I, I know yeah. we want to talk about bitcoins today, no, but yeah. speaking yeah. of the stock market, uh, yeah. I see the Dow is down 94 yeah. today. Yeah. We've had quite a run here. Uh, is it time for a breather, do you think? Probably so. Uh, my uh, my contribution as the economics editor to an understanding of where the stock market is likely to go has always been limited. Um, I uh, I take the uh, the 142 year perspective uh, that uh, that has been uh, that I've learned from various sources, in particular uh, Jeremy Siegel, a professor at Wharton, uh, generates these numbers. And uh, unless you believe uh, that um, that that uh, entrepreneurial capitalism is being repeated Healed, then the stock market does have potential, or always has potential uh, to earn. Uh, and uh, and I, I say, unless you believe that it's been repealed, I, I, I grant the possibility that uh, that uh, that the market and that capitalism is always at risk, and that government is suppressing it. But um, certainly, uh, I have to say that over the last 142 years since 1871, where we have data, the stock market has averaged an inflation-adjusted rate of return of 6.6 including reinvested dividends, and it's never had a, a losing 30-year period, never had a losing 20-year period, and in fact, even most 5- and 10-year periods, it ekes out a gain. Um, and uh, what I've been saying over the past few years is that um, we might have some progression toward the mean. That, um, In fact, I, I wrote my first article about this on March uh, 9th, dated March 9th of 2009, which was very lucky because... Uh, that was the actual day of the low on the market. <laughs> yes, it was. I began was. that article by, by quoting the infamous Business Week headline of 1978, um, it was 78 or 79, called the Death of Equities. And indeed, there is always a, a period in which we start to believe that stock market is dead and that equities are dead. And if equities are dead, so is capitalism, by the way. And I don't deny the possibility that um, that the death knell of the of the capitalism that we all want is going to is is going to sound at some point, um, but uh, but I have to say that we might have been pretty depressed in the 1970s. We might have been pretty depressed about capitalism's chances in the 1930s. Um, mm -hmm. There is a resiliency uh, to the U.S. market, and uh, it sometimes surprises us. So all I've actually said is that um, that the, the the progression toward the mean. Uh, I'm, I'm actually writing an article about the stock market this week for Barron's. The oh, progression good. toward the mean is about over. Um, that uh, that uh, that I can't help you anymore. I only I do know that the stock market is now uh, earning approximately median returns. It, it doesn't look too high, but it's not too low either. So it's, it's now anybody's call, and I wouldn't be surprised that the downside correction continues for a bit. But I don't foresee a crash um, because um, the price earnings ratios are not scary. Uh, they don't look frothy, and uh, uh, but uh, I'm basically of no help anymore about where the stock market might go. All righty. Well, good good point, and I don't think it's just all luck either that back no. in uh, 2009 you picked the no. bottom. I think no. what you were doing is basically using your head no. instead of perhaps your, your gut. No. I would say, you know, Gene, one of the things you, you mentioned that um, – 
you know, about, about capitalism being resilient and the market being resilient. It certainly is true. And Nikolai Kondratiev was, uh, was hired, I believe, by Stalin to try to, to prove that capitalism was dead. It was on its way out. And he said, no, no, it doesn't, it's not true. It, it undergoes these enormous stresses and strains, but it always comes back. And I have mm-hmm. to think that because capitalism is the natural form of, of, um, people's behavior. I think, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, free market, uh, economics that we learned from the Austrians, Certainly is, is the way people actually do believe, and we have to be all, almost misinformed by the likes of your friend there, Paul Krugman, to mm-hmm. tell us uh, otherwise and uh, to, to program us into thinking uh, unnaturally almost, I think. So I, I agree with you. I think that, but the question is that, you know, governments can do a great yeah. deal of harm to capitalism yeah. and they can put on, uh, they can uh, create a great deal of, of stress and, uh, and so forth. Well, you know, one of the things, Gene, that people are trying to do is to survive against some of these rules and regulations. That government is putting in place, and one of the things that one of the things that's, that's sort of bubbling up in the free market is Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, you, you, know, you said you'd like to give us your thoughts on Bitcoin. I, I'm looking. I just discovered there's a website, Bitconity, B-I-T-C-O-N, Bitcoinity, I guess, Bitcoinity.org, and it gives you a second by second quote on Bitcoin. I'm looking at it right now. It's 11:36. close to the price of gold these days. What are your thoughts about Bitcoin as as a libertarian? Well, uh, I'm I'm enthusiastic about it. I I would also uh, point out to people, by the way, that uh, my my stepson and his friend, uh, who owned a lot of Bitcoin and who bought a lot of Bitcoin uh, quite a while ago, so you might imagine that they're fairly rich in dollars, but they'd like to transact in Bitcoin. And there's actually a service, I don't remember the name of it, but a service that buys food, buys prepared food for you in Bitcoin. So when they, when mm-hmm. they have their dinner, they, they, uh, they, they pay their, they've got their Bitcoin account. And then, uh, of course, that service converts it to dollars and uh, buys it for them. They like to transact in the Bitcoin economy. And actually, to some degree, you can do that. But my, my interest in Bitcoin uh, really uh, starts with a, uh, with a, a lifelong obsession with trying to make the point, uh, uh, the point not just to, uh, I should say, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that little insult about my friend, Paul Krugman, since I know you meant it sarcastically. But, <laughs> but my semi-friends, my friends uh, in the Chicago school, with whom you and I, of course, have a lot of good, toward whom you and I have a lot of good feeling, uh, Milton Friedman and others, who had a lot of important things to say that and taught us a lot. Uh, they, uh, they never quite grasped uh, the point that the last thing we want government to be involved in is the money business. Mm-hmm. I'd rather they be in the shoe business. The shoes would pinch. We could do, you know, we could make our own sandals. But when they're in the money business, it's especially dangerous. And of course, that's why they want to be in the money business. That's why they've been in the money business for centuries. Uh, the history of money can really be told in a couple of sentences. The kings wanted to fight their wars. Uh, they needed to pay for those wars. Taxing and borrowing are not sufficient. So they decided to get in the money business and print money and take the people's money and print it. And uh, with, to have a truly free market, we need the government to get out of the money business. And uh, Bitcoin is one 
uh, dark horse, uh, but it's definitely a horse in the race. And uh, and what I like about it is that it's it's another pathway to something I learned from Larry Parks. That as much as Larry and I admired the likes of Murray Rothbard and some of the other Austrian economists who are equally concerned about this, their idea for get for making a conversion uh, to a free market in money was to get it, it was top down. They they actually imagined that uh, that the government would say. Well, Fort Knox will sell all its gold. We'll uh, we'll do, we'll uh, we'll handle it with the banks, and that will be kind of an orderly um, surrender by government uh, from the top down. And uh, that never quite satisfied me. And even in the way that they they thought it might work, it sounded somewhat chaotic. Um, the truth is that just as uh, with so many revolutions, especially free market revolutions, they come from the bottom. And uh, mm-hmm. if we can get people interested in Bitcoin, then Bitcoin may be the money that we choose if and when the dollar no longer serves our needs. And by that, I mean uh, a currency will no longer serve your needs if it's getting debased, if its value is sinking quickly. And I believe that, uh, much as I hate to say it, I believe that there's a real risk that that could happen in 10 to 15 years when uh, the debt bomb begins to explode and when the federal government starts to print money. Um, I, now, of course, there are those who say that it'll happen sooner and that we're going to have a runaway inflation and a collapse of the currency even sooner than that. Uh, but I say I at least see the, see the distinct risk 10, 15 years from now. Now, when that, if and when that does happen, I say if because uh, some, some miracle might occur and prevent it from happening. Uh, but uh, if, if, if and when it does happen, then uh, we need an alternative currency. Um, then we need something for people to, to turn to. And Bitcoin may be the currency we'll turn to. Maybe it will be gold, but maybe it will be Bitcoin. Uh, if we begin if, to, to practice in the use of Bitcoin, I personally have decided finally, after uh, much uh, resistance, to make some use of Bitcoin in my transactions so that I become familiar with it. I haven't yet done that, but I'm going to do so shortly under the tutelage of my stepson. Uh, then it might be uh, the currency uh, of the future. It, it's um, interesting. What, what actually bothered me a little bit about Bitcoin is that, it, as you probably know, there's about 11 million units of Bitcoin outstanding. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had historically, um, you know, if you want, if you want to have a little sizzling headline in journalism, then uh, Bitcoin per unit uh, uh, has exceeded. I guess not now at the moment, but uh, a few days ago, it exceeded the price per ounce of gold. Mm-hmm. It's been mm-hmm. at under $100 per unit, and it's recently soared to over 12. Hundred dollars a unit, so uh, it's begin. It's beginning to look a little bit like gold now. Obviously, it's yeah. fallen back a bit, but uh, it's beginning to compete. In fact, there, there's been these theories that well, maybe, maybe part of the reason why the bull market in gold has been stalled is that it's given way to the bull market in Bitcoin. Um, well, there could now, be, you know, Gene. I'm just, I, I was just saying that when we come on, you started talking yeah. about Bitcoin. It was 11.37. It's 11.47 now. Yeah. So in a couple of minutes, it's jumped ten dollars uh, yeah. a Bitcoin. But of course, it is very volatile, and that's one of the strikes against it that I hear the main. Absolutely, talking yes. about the other thing, yeah. of course, people are trying to find a way to be free. They're trying mm-hmm. to find a way uh, that they can trans.
transact uh, between themselves without government having its nose in their business. And that, mm-hmm. that's certainly, of course, that's one of the reasons I think they're going to and have been threatening to come down on Bitcoin and, and uh, make it a crime to own the, to mm-hmm. own the darn things. It doesn't yeah. seem like that should be the case if we're, uh, if we're a country of liberty, but nonetheless, you know, the heavy hand of government, which we talked about earlier in this show today, is, is always there uh, that we always have to be cognizant of. Uh, is that something you would worry about? We got a minute left. Here. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, it, it, and of course, obviously, gold. I mean, you know, we, we lived through a time from the early 1930s to the mid 70s when it was a felony to own gold. But gold, sure. of course, had a terrible reputation with government. And it's always been a threat. It, it was a barbarous relic, as far as John Maynard Keynes was concerned. Uh, but actually, I'm not sure that it may be a Trojan horse. You know, it may be. I'm not. I'm not sure that the government, uh, the powers that be, understand it as a threat. At least not as yet. You know, mm-hmm. Bernanke, uh, Fed Chairman Bernanke was quoted as saying something nice about it. It will be a struggle, absolutely, um, to uh, uh, with with government. But at the moment, I think Bitcoin is not going to get harassed the way gold has been. But um, we'll see. In any case, uh, so. I'm rooting for them both, for both gold and for Bitcoin. Let, let the best currency win. Well, I might say that, and I might also add to our listeners, there's something called gold money that I think is kind of a Bitcoin in gold, in essence, uh, although it's somewhat different in that Bitcoin uh, is exactly limited, and of course, the supply of gold grows slightly, albeit yeah. much more slowly than the printing press money that we are forced to use uh, over uh, at the barrel of a gun by our government. Mm. But anyway, Gene, my engineer is telling me we're out of time, sure. so uh, I, I'm very sorry We'd, we could go on and on about this for sure, but thank you very much for being with me, and I look forward to seeing you at the Junto at the uh, 20 West uh, 44th Street this coming Thursday, 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock is when your speaker starts, right? Yes, yes. Very good. Well, thank you, Gene, very much uh, for being with me once again. Well, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show and next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, with some closing thoughts on today's show. Well, it certainly uh, was uh, good to hear from Robert Joostra. I, I really do like that company, Columbus Gold. Uh, this is, and the reason I like it, for a, well, a couple of reasons. Most of all, 
because I think they have a very viable project with uh, more than 5 million ounces. As Robert said, it's likely to grow, uh, grow fairly significantly perhaps. But I think what really gives this company traction and the reason my confidence level in its uh, longer-term success is because of their uh, joint venture with Nord Gold. This is a company that is growing very rapidly, a uh, very competent, very capable company producing uh, 800,000 ounces now, will soon be over a million ounces. Uh, and uh, the fact that Columbus Gold can keep 50% of this project all the way through uh, is remarkable. More typically, you'd see a 70-30 or 75-25 type of a deal. Uh, and the fact that also Columbus Gold gets uh, get some uh, some payments for they are the operator so uh, ten uh, a fairly significant amount of money coming into the company that should mean that it won't have to go out and sell more stock in a in a, what is now a horrible market a three thirty cent stock right now could be a three dollar stock no guarantees ever in this business it's a high risk high return endeavor gold mining but uh, with the gold mining industry in the, in the pits right now. And with the fundamentals for gold remaining as strong as ever, I think you heard from Peter Granich today, uh, he making the case for that. Certainly, uh, the uh, Western world is broke. The Western world is in big trouble. I think the financial system is in big trouble. And uh, I think gold is the place to be. Uh, so uh, we, we want to thank uh, Peter for being with us as well today. And I had to think of the uh, the... Uh, the quote that I read from Cicero when I uh, when I talked to Clark Neely, uh, Attorney Clark Neely, who really talked about um, the abuse of government and the lack of the judiciary to do its job to uphold the Constitution, to uh, enforce the Constitution. Uh, it, it seems to me that we do have, very much as Cicero talked about, uh, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through the alleys, hard in the very, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face in their arguments. He appeals to their baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night uh, to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politics so that it can no longer resist. A murder is less to be feared. The traitor is the plague. End of quote. Well, I think this is what's sneaking into our judiciary, to our government. Uh, it is a poison from within that is killing us, and I think Clark Neely did a great job of explaining a little bit of, of what some of the problems are, and I would uh, urge you to check out... Uh, his work and all that he's done. I should mention uh, that coming up next week, we are going to have Greg Johnson of Prophecy Platinum, another company I think has got great potential, Prophecy Platinum. The world needs platinum very badly. Uh, we'll have him, and we're going to also have another special guest, and Doug Groh will be with us from the Tocqueville Fund. David Hunt as well, a, a blind entrepreneur who's had an extremely successful track record, will be with us to inspire us all and, uh, and get us to stop complaining about our plight in life. Thanks to all of you for listening. Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.